Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. A year ago, this podcast came from Belgium, the opening weekend of the classic season and the generally accepted starting gun for European racing. Three days of huge crowds interviewing riders in hotel rooms and tour buses and evenings in packed Belgian bars. Then everything changed. But if this past weekend was anything to go by, we've got some great racing to look forward to in 2021. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. The opening weekend of racing in Belgium, Omloop, Het Nieuwsblad and Kuhn Brussel Kuhn produced some surprises and some things we knew already. De Koenig Quickstep are clearly on fire and young British talent like Tom Pidcock and Jake Stewart are already fighting for podium places. Ruler editor Andy McGrath will be doing video debriefs on our YouTube channel straight after the big races. And he joins us now. So opening weekend, been and done, Stradibianchi this weekend. What have we learned so far? Well, Ian, firstly, it's nice to have bike racing back and the, and the sun shining, unusually in Belgium. But it, it felt right, basically, if you know what I mean. Like it kind of normalises things, doesn't it? Which is always nice to go off on a brief tangent the coldest that i've ever been at any bike race maybe just anywhere in the world is omloop het noiseblad 2013 bitterly freezing with the wind even wearing six layers and the next day it snowed so hard that kerner was cancelled it was nice to see those concrete roads and the cobbles and all the little villages again it really did feel like yeah racing was starting properly again didn't it it does yeah and to look at the results, you might think it, they were both boring races, you know. Like to end in a bunch sprint, both of them, is really unusual. I think Kent Newsblad had, uh, hadn't finished in a bunch that big since the early 90s. But we learned, uh, one thing we uh, already knew is that the Kern and Quickstep are the guys to follow and the guys to beat. It was a pretty virtuoso performance. You know, sending the world champion up the road with 30k to go was flamboyant. It didn't work out. It looked like then their advantage in numbers might not pay off, but then Ballerini just 
smoked everyone in the sprint, didn't he? And I had the lack of foresight to not play him in my fantasy team for the spring classics. Because like, I, th- I looked ahead news, Vlad, and thought, oh, it like, always ends in a breakaway. He's got no chance. What do I know? Jake Stewart was second, and there was an extraordinary performance by Tom Pidcock for a large part of the race as well. I mean, both of them are real talents, but Tom Pidcock is really coming to the fore, isn't he? Yeah, it was just especially the way that um, he bridged the gap after the Mollenberg with, uh, with one rider on his wheel. You know, bridged a 15-second gap, didn't get like a single turn. That's power. I'm not to sound patronising either, but like, Pidcock is not the tallest rider at all. He's probably 5'7", five, 5'6". Five, so next to guys like Greg Van Avermaet and Seth Van Mark, he almost looks like a child. But the way that he's riding, it, he could even be a like, contender for the big monuments, Flanders and maybe Strade Bianchi this weekend. He's that good, isn't he? Uh, but Jake Stewart, that was really impressive, like kind of slightly under the radar. But in fact, he'd been good at Bessege. He's been good for the last year with Rui Palmer at FDJ. Um, I'm not sure how good his French is, but he's certainly a quality bike racer. Now, Tom Pickcock, in fact, was sort of working with his teammate, wasn't he? Uh, another young Londoner, Ethan Hayter, who was being set up um, for the end of the race, but but th- that didn't work out. But there is some extraordinary young British talent there. Yeah, it's extremely promising. Uh, I, I suppose the Brits were the big surprises of the opening weekend. That was the thing about uh, Hater. It was so disappointing that he had a crash at the finish of um, Hen Youthblood. That's the thing with the Belgian race. You can, I kind of see the crash coming when it bunches up and it's nervy and the peloton isn't big enough to be strung out. And you never like to see that. But he'll have other chances. And there's definitely a feeling uh, this season, as there was last season, I think, that um, this could be the last race. You know, um, the, the schedule might be disrupted again or, or whatever. So everyone seems to be going for it, don't they? Yeah, it's a strange dynamic too, though, that for many riders, that was their first race um, of the season. So there's little preparation, like probably more nervy. There's even more at stake than ever. I am fairly hopeful that we're gonna not see the postponements we saw last year that the bubble like in general of course it depends on the country and the organizer etc etc that protocol is there so fingers crossed but yeah we should really just enjoy every race that happens basically in the women's on loop there was another victory for anna van der breggen uh riding for sd works who we used to know as uh, bowls dolmans um so uh, good performances by again by sort of big teams in the women's peloton yeah i mean i actually spotted on the broadcast there was a banner on the top of the famous muir that said flanders where world champions are made and it was so apt because we had the two top riders in the rainbow bands just showing how strong they are. Uh, Van der Breggen, it, it was so, her whole team, like SD works. So you had Demi Vollering kind of softening up everyone. And Van der Breggen just waited and waited. And when she went, like on the Bosberg, and it's really refreshing to see actually the Bosberg kind of being used for a race making decisive um, attack. Some of our older listeners will know that the muir bosberg combo is redolent of the Tour Flanders. That still, like for me, though it's been about 10 years with the current finale, that is a Tour Flanders for me, the muir bosberg So to see her absolutely caning it up there, frankly, and making the difference all the way into Nineveh was really, really inspiring and maybe worrying for her rivals that she's retiring at the end of the year and she's going to be a DS 
next season. But she is showing no signs of weakness and neither are SD works. Just on that note, I couldn't help but notice there's a lot of <laughs> top teams wearing purple <laughs> and it's getting a little bit confusing with my poor eyesight to spot them. But Live Racing and Kenyan SRAM, the other ones um, in that colour, were offering some good resistance. So Strada Bianca is kind of round two and I'm, a, I'm really expecting there to be a really exciting fight. Now, Kern, Russell Kern, um, not a World Tour race, not really a classic, but still an important race nonetheless, isn't it, at this stage of the season? It certainly always feels more important than its ranking dictates. Uh, kind of coming after Omloop, it's that second chance to right the wrongs. Absolutely what Trek Segafredo did. They will have had the basically the Alex Ferguson hairdryer treatment after um, Omloop because they didn't have a rider in the top 50. All their leaders melted away when the going got tough. But whatever was said the day before certainly worked because Jesper Stuyven led out Mads Pedersen perfectly. Uh, it's nice to see Thomas World Champ kind of winning again. I have a feeling it won't be the last time this spring. So yeah, I mean, this is, this is what happens, isn't it? That things can change so quickly and, and overnight Trek Sigafredo have a lot to be happy about. But again, it was, a, it was a fascinating race to watch. Like you were wondering whether the breakaway would make it, like whether Van der Poel, <laughs> with a 90-kilometre Hail Mary, would stay away, pulling this combination of the early breakaway mixed with, uh, of all people, Jonathan Novaez of Ineos Grenadiers, who I think is from Colombia, possibly Ecuador. It was just it was just very, very watchable. It was very enjoyable. So again, even though it, it ended in a bunch sprint, it was anything but boring, which bodes extremely well as well. Looking ahead to Strade Bianchi, postponed last year, um, but looking like going ahead at the weekend. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, the bike race is so good. They're having it twice in the space of seven months. Hopefully, fingers crossed. You know, firstly, uh, personally speaking, Ian, it's one of my favourite races of the year. Tuscany is a beautiful place. Italy is such an evocative country. It's one of those races where pretty much every rider can play apart like we've had Grand Tour challengers contending there we've had Fabian Cancellara winning we've had the cobbled specialists also up there but I think yeah we're going to see the likes of Van Avermaet um, again contending with the women you can't look past Van der Breggen Van Vluten has certainly made it her um, her domain this race in recent years and she was on an absolute flyer last summer yeah I'm interested to see how the dynamics kind of change that Okay, like in the women's racing, SD works, just overpowered everyone. But what's going to happen? What's going to be the reaction? We saw a bit from Elisa Longo-Borghini last weekend, kind of going on the attack. So I'm really hoping that there'll be a response there. And the weather forecast looks a bit iffy. So we're recording this a few days before Strada Bianchi. That could be one of the biggest factors. Um, who's tough enough? Who's got the handling ability if it gets rainy and even even worse on the gravel <laughs> and it's hard enough already um who's willing to take those risks so you'll be doing a video debrief on the ruler youtube after strade bianchi um alongside ruler contributors amy jones and joe timms that's correct um yeah we're moving into the world of video i've been told to uh, have a neutral background because i think people don't want to look at the Anne rand uh, behind me <laughs> even though it's actually all just geeky cycling books to be honest but it should be fun i'm going to be the gary lineker to there, Mark Lawrenson and um, Alex Scott. 
Well, look forward to that. And you can ride virtually with Rouleur and Trekseker Fredo riders, Ryan Mullen and Kern de Court, on Zwift and Instagram Live tomorrow evening, Friday the 5th of March. So check Rouleur social media for full details. You're listening to Rouleur Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding campaign, head to lacquer.co. Your money is at risk when you invest. The announcement is approved by Cedars. Ruler issue 102 is coming soon. Visit ruler.cc to subscribe, to subscribe to our Italian and Spanish editions as well, and to browse some of the finest brands in cycling, all in one place. Now then. Here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Ruler magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to ruler.cc. You know it makes sense. So we've talked before on this podcast about the strange affinity between cycling and musicians. And on this edition, we're joined by someone else who combines those two passions. Will Sargent of Echo and the Bunnymen has recently released on social media a series of pictures from the early days of the band featuring him and a selection of excellent bikes and kit. So Will joins us alongside massive Bunnymen fan Rulers Ian Cleverly, who was also a member of a band in the 80s, although slightly less well-known. Ian, I imagine you've got some questions for Will. When you say slightly less well-known, what you mean is uh, very much less well-known. But um, no, I just want to start with an admission as, as being a a racing cyclist on the ages of like 13 to 16 and I got 16 and punk happened and I thought yeah this is way cooler so but luckily I had a drum kit because my brother was a drummer so that right. was it I was a musician but then by the age of 18 it was like I haven't got anybody to play with because I lived in a village a small village in Wiltshire so the only punk I'm, in the village yeah yeah <laughs> so, so I put an ad in the back of the enemy like you did in those days yeah so, you know, drummer requires musicians, uh, influences, talking heads, the pop group, right. and Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. I love the pop group. I love talking heads. I, I thought I thought that was three pretty solid influences, and that got that got me going. That got me going, and uh, you know, moved to London at nineteen, and I was away. But um, yeah, and then we got to play with you at the original WOMAD Festival. Which was, oh yeah, uh, it was a blast, wasn't it? That it lost Peter Gabriel a lot of money from a brightly, but it was a great festival. Yeah, it was brilliant, and they made a film of it, but it never came out. I don't know why. Something happened. I don't know. Some bullshit with record label. I don't know what happened, but they filmed everything, and uh, they had cameras all over the place. You know, 
I don't remember that. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It's like great big video cameras, you know, like the big old fashioned ones, like clunky things. Yeah, yeah. We do need to talk about bicycles just briefly, you know, because yeah. otherwise we'd just be sitting here all day talking about the good old days of um, festivals and gigs. You're a recent joinee of, of of Twitter. What took you so long to get there? Is it were you worried about negativity or something? Because I think nothing but positive vibes and love coming your way. Yeah, but that's because I've deleted the negative ones. <laughs> I've muted the bastards. It's great having the power, you know. Like it's my Twitter. I'll decide who's on it. You know what I mean? Sorry, but if you say anything shitty, you'd ask. I was on Twitter about a year ago. And it started, it got on my nerves a bit, you know. I didn't really know what it was or what it was about. So I kind of bailed out on that. I've sort of started it up again now to try and build up some sort of profile thing, you know, because I've got a book coming out, so I need to, you know, do things now. Like normally I've hid under a stone and don't do anything, but now I've got to be a sort of thing, a person. (laughs) You know, this book only goes from... Well, it goes from like when I was born to when Peter Freitas joins. So it's all the drum machine years. They only did 10 gigs with the drum machine, about 10 gigs. It's been great, really, you know, and I, I did, I started doing it before the lockdown and this lockdown thing came along and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, really, you know, so I was, I could crack on with it, you know. Um, but I'm hoping to do three books eventually. You know, this one only goes up to 1979. For those, you know, there, there, there probably are a few uh, ruler uh, listeners slightly scratching their heads at, at yeah. what Will is talking about there. Uh, the name of the band came about because Echo was actually a drum machine. There was no, there was no drummer in uh, Echo and the Bunnymen until uh, the late great Peter Freitas joined. I've, I haven't yeah. got that right, Will, haven't I? I don't want to be. No, <laughs> no, no, you haven't got it right. We put that around, like what it was. Mac was starting to get be called Echo, and we were like cheesed off. Well, we're not the his band, you know what I mean? It's a it's a band. It's not like Echo and us lot, you know. It, it was so. It was actually Mac that said it. You know, he said, "No, Echo's the drum machine," because he didn't like it either. You know, fair play to him. He didn't like it either. So that's what it was. It was just a, a story we made up, but there was no Echo really. Mac had a flat with this lad called Paul Ellerbeck. We we sort of got offered to do this gig and Ellerbeck had these names of all these bands, you know, imaginary bands and, you know, because we, we'd never really talked about having a name. You know, there was only me and Mac at that stage. It was just the two of us and the drum machine. We just got announced off this list and I didn't even get a choice in it, you know, so it was kind of like I was a bit pissed off, really. I never really liked it. Names are weird, aren't they? Like Oasis is a terrible name for a band. It sounds like a tanning salon, you know, in Witness or something, you know, or, or a dodgy club. These couple of photos that you posted on Twitter that, that what, recording an album in Paris, 83, yeah. and you took your bikes with you. And, and well, I mean, were you, were you sort of into cycling as a, in a kind of because it was cool or just because it was a no, wasn't cool then. No, no, it sure is not. <laughs> it wasn't sort of a, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all this like British team trouncing everybody and all of that you know it was kind of a, it was a european thing wasn't it cycling yeah, years ago yeah, yeah. me mate steve merton and steve green and that they they were all in this kirby club and we i kind of knew them and they they sort of like not really made me get into it but i thought i'll get a bit of, i'll do a bit of cycling for health you know 
I liked all the gear. You know, I love all the um, the old style tops yeah. and everything. Yeah, the, you've got to be thin sa- to get away with it. You'd be all right. I'd look like a sausage. Oh, you, we were we were all young and fit and thin in those days, weren't we? You know, come on. So it was kind of that really. That's how I got into it. And I wasn't doing. I wasn't in any club or anything. I just go out on my own, just potter about. You know. And at one point when we were, um, we sort of bought a warehouse in Liverpool. Like it sounds flash, but it was 25,000 quid for a four-story warehouse. You know, back when it was like derelict and the roof was all knackered and, you know, and all that stuff. I used to cycle to Liverpool every day. Can I live about, well, I live 17, I know exactly, I live 17 miles away from the studio where we where we, were, we had this warehouse we were making. So I'd go, you know, to Liverpool and back every day. And I got really fit then. That was good, good while ago now, that. Yeah. But I enjoyed it and I could, um, it was just great, you know, keeping up with the traffic and because it was quite busy, you know, going into Liverpool, like on the main roads and everything. You had to go on the main roads. You, there was no backways in there, you know. The oh. best I did it in was just over an hour. You know, it's not fast, but it's okay for me who doesn't, wasn't in any clubs or. Did you ever get around to like taking a bike with you on tour? Because I, I always. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I always had this great idea that when I know I can jump out of the bus with 20 miles to go and then I get my my sort of exercise, but I just never got Craftwork do that, don't they? Craftwork do, that, do a lot of that. They yeah, dump yeah. them out. I never did that. It was always like get up early while everyone was still, you know, asleep. I'd go out with, um, like, generally with this bloke, Kiss, who was our lighting man. And he was a bit of a better, he was a much better cyclist than me. You know, we'd go off pottering around. So, oh, but also when we did Ocean Rain, me and Les both took our bikes, our bass player. We both took our bikes and we'd cycle to the studio. And but we'd go like the scenic route around Paris, you know, around the Champs-Élysées and all that, which was like pretty exciting on the cobbles. There seemed to be a whole slew of, I mean, I don't know about later eras of musicians, but a whole bunch of 80s guys that, that are well into their cycle, like Gary Kemp. Martin Fry is, is, is one of our readers, weirdly. Lloyd Cole takes it very seriously. And he, he, a bit like you, he's got a really cool old bike and he really obsesses on his, his cool old sort of bike. But I don't know if there's any more out there. There are probably quite, quite a few. But... Yeah, well, mine's a, um, a, there's a, a builder up this way, used to be Keith Koppel. It was given to me, the frame was given to me by uh, one of the lads from the club there, Steve Green. He just gave me this frame because he, he's got a better one, you know, and uh, I built it up from that. And then just lately, a couple of years back, I got it redone again. I got all campag stuff on it and got it sprayed up again and all that stuff. But then I had a bit of a crash. I had a bad accident. Yeah, it's kind of head-butted the, the pavements. You know, the uh, the road are about 30 mile an hour. So it was kind of... Um, really don't know what happened. There was a big pothole there and the wheel was, you know, bent. And I, went, I must have went over the handlebar. I don't remember much about it. I remember ending up, I was just in an ambulance, you know. But I don't know whether my chain came off. I was out the saddle going down a little, it was like a humpback bridge. So I was sort of giving it some power down the, the bridge. And um, I don't know whether uh, the chain come off or something happened and, you know, twisted something, you know, one leg goes and I don't know what happened, but I ended up, you know, getting stitches and all that. It was, it was all right. You know, they said I had a helmet on and everything. They said, um, Luckily, that's a really thick part of your skull. <laughs> Dude, was, it, was he talking about your skull or, or everybody's skull? Oh, everybody's skull. Oh, shit. Uh, skulls in general. It's you know, probably why they're good for headbutton. I love a bit of that in Kirby. You've got a tour in 
May, fingers crossed. Was that postponed or was that always going to be? Yeah, it was, it was meant to be earlier on. It meant to be like last year and then he moved it. And who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. You know, nobody knows, do they? No. It's up in the air, the whole thing. So if we are doing it in May, I better start learning how to play the guitar again because I haven't played it for a year. So the, con- the concept around the tour basically is like 40, 40 years, um, which seems quite extraordinary. Oh, yeah, it's so- longer than 40 years. <laughs> no, it's, uh, we started in 1978. Mac always says we're a 70s band. You know, when they go, oh, you're an 80s band, well, we're not, we're a 70s band. I'd rather be a 70s band, I think. You recorded Heaven Up Here in Rockfield Studios in Wales. Did did, did you see the, the documentary recently about Rockfield? Yeah, I was a little bit pissed off that they never mentioned us, except at the very end, on the, the roll call at the end. Okay. I was like, because we were there all the time. Um, and that was like a real eye-opener to me to go to Rockfield. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden you've got these posh people treating you nice. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it was like as though you were somebody. Uh, you know, it's a very strange feeling, but it was great, you know. An amazing place. Like, you know, we had loads of adventures there, you know, with um, like Hawkwind were there and Ginger Baker was playing drums with them and, yeah, you know, Robert Plant was hanging around, you know, this sort of stuff. You know, you'd see all these people that were, you know, legends, you know, and in my record collection behind me. And you go in the pub with them. That was the thing. You were you, all of a sudden, you could have anything you wanted. You know, normally, like we're living on a tin of beans and a, you know a wonder loaf back home, and then all of a sudden there was like this really fresh bread and great big blocks of dead tasty cheese and all this sort of stuff that we, we'd never seen. You know, that was great. You know, being able to have like a full fridge, twenty four hours a day, you could just go down and make bacon putty whenever you wanted. Or but it's going on your bill. You know, yeah, I know. I know. Of the time it's going on your bill. It's like we're hiring guitars, like fancy Martin guitars and stuff. You know, acoustics and things like that. Um, they just be in the corner for three weeks, hundred quid a day or whatever, and you just didn't even think about it because it was like it, they kept the money side of it detached from you almost. It's like they wanted you to get in more debt. So the sporting side, of, did do you did you do you follow the sporting side of things? Did you follow? Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I watch bits of it. You know, yeah. I'm not. If the lads are racing, like they still race, you know, so I'll go and see them sometimes. You know, your 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 mates still race, even though yeah 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 they, they've got back into it a bit. You know, like they race round here. You know, like Parbold Hill and places like this. You know. And I've been to them, them a few times, just sat on, yeah, still on the side. Not, I drove there. I haven't got on my bike. Wouldn't want to shame myself. You know, <laughs> I do, I do love it. I love when you go out. It's like exercise, but you're actually achieving something. You're going somewhere as well. You know what I mean? It's not like you're running and like you can't look at anything. You can look around and see the birds and you're a bit, bit above the hedge and all that. You know, it's great. All right. The last thing I think I should mention is you're doing um, a Tim's Twitter listening party, aren't you? For heaven up here. Oh, yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, 13th of March. 13th of March. Now, for anybody who's not familiar with Tim's Twitter listening parties, they are probably one of the best things invented on Twitter over the yeah, last year or so. Yeah. Whereby you, you, you put on the album at home, your host, in this case, Will here, will be on Twitter telling you all about each track and little anecdotes and stuff in the back. And because you've got such a fantastic archive of of photos and, and and stories and stuff i think that's going to be a cracker isn't it and, and like you've got um you know questions coming in and stuff like that as well so 
you know, if you get stuck, you can always think, oh, he wants to know about that or they want to know about that, this, you know. So it's not, I sort of joined in with one that he did the other day with Johnny Eccles from Love. And that was great. Well, yeah. thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure. All right. Nice one. Thanks a lot. See ya. And that's it from this Ruler Conversations. Don't forget to subscribe, check out Ruler's social media channels and listen out for the long reads along next week. 